titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. Welcome into another episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, the site manager for Second City Hockey. And I've got my two usual line mates with me here on this Wednesday evening. First off, it is the analytics darling of Second City Hockey, Shepard Price. Uh, I also probably could have scored a goal on Kevin Lankin in from low danger last last game. So on, a, on Tuesday. Yeah. So you know what, Shepard, I got to apologize because I, I hit a wrong button and I muted. I don't I think it's going to record you, but I completely muted you. So I have no idea what you just said. OK. <laughs> I hope it was good though. I'm sure it was. I usually usually this is the part where I add to it in some way, but uh, I realized I was like, "How come Shepard's not saying anything?" Like, no, my dumbass hit the wrong button. So, um, so we're off to a roaring start. Woo! <laughs> I, I can't wait to. Hear, I'm gonna have to go listen to this later and like and figure out what you said. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was gold though. I'm, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, and also with us tonight, you know, I'm sorry, Mel. We still we we got to work on this. At some point, we're gonna figure this out, but. Mill Savage is also here. Happy to be here, Dave. That's good. I, I heard <laughs> that. <laughs> oh man, it's been a week, and it's like I saw an Onion article yesterday, and it was from like 2007, and the headline was "It's Only Tuesday," and that that is an article that I felt within my core. And that, it's funny, like halfway down the article, it said "Added some person." Fuck, it's still only Tuesday, and that's about where I'm at right now on Wednesday. So. Get ready, get ready for a real barn burner of an episode, guys. Not um, only Tuesday, but the Hawks are also back in 2007. I, I, well, I would take that. It wouldn't be bad. If, if, yeah. if, this, if this turns out to be the 2007, the equivalent of 2007 Blackhawks hockey, I'm here for it because I know it came in the decade afterwards. And, and actually, it's funny you said that, Mill, because that's kind of, kind of going to be part of the reason or part of the, conversation that we're about to get into but before we do that i just wanted to let everyone know that you can follow me on twitter at underscore dave melton mill is at mill 182 shepherd is at shepherd price the main second city hockey account is at 2nd city hockey and visit our website secondcityhockey.com where we've got a ton of content coming up on game days non-game days practice days everything whatever you need uh we've probably got something there for you to keep you busy while you're working from home pretending to work and also uh, rate, review, subscribe, and follow us wherever it is you get your podcast. Any five-star reviews we can get would be greatly appreciated. Uh, but gentlemen, the reason why we have gathered this evening, for the last month or so, we've just kind of been recapping whatever's happened in the most recent Blackhawks games. And I've, and while we'll certainly get back to that because you know they've got 36 more games coming up this season, we'll have plenty more games to talk about. But I want to take a step back just a little bit here, maybe zoom out a little bit, and kind of look at the big picture of everything we've gotten from the Blackhawks over the last two months. And so here's here's the main question that I would like to discuss. It's a yes or no question, but we're going to obviously talk a lot more than just a yes or no answer. And that question is, do you feel better about or better or worse about the Blackhawks than you did, say, two months ago? Let's, let's, we'll, we'll pinpoint the exact date. Is And, and maybe this is kind of grading it on a curve a little bit because of where I'm going to set this pin at, but 
after you found out that Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taze weren't going to be playing on this team, well, you know what? Let's actually, let me rephrase that. I don't want to do that because that sets the bar too low. So let's just go two months. Let's go to before the Doc and before the Taves injuries came out. How do you feel about this team now compared to two, two and a half months ago? Shepard, floor is yours. Well, worse because Kirby Doc doesn't get his sophomore season, <laughs> and I would really like to see Kirby Doc's sophomore season. Um, well, there's that. Yeah, especially after his impressive playoff performance. Um, better in terms of the netminders because well, here, here, yeah, I guess here, here's where yeah. it's just like the just your overall like direction of the team, better or worse, or or the same. I mean, there there is there is no wrong answer. I'm going to say short term worse, long term better. Okay. Uh, short term, short term worse because three months ago, which is when we're kind of going based off of, Jeremy Carlton wasn't extended uh, for two years. <laughs> oh, that's I hadn't considered that in this whole discussion. So, um, and he is awful. He's the worst part of the Blackhawks this season. You sure? About, I mean, he okay. So I believe I believe the five. <laughs> I, believe, I believe I believe the five on five really bad numbers are because of his way too complicated system. Okay. Like, I mean, I that's... believe the, I believe the player talent is getting there. I believe the young kids are have the ability to make this team better, but they're not showing it because the system does not work. Are you? Is that in reference to like the man-to-man defensive system that keeps? Yeah. Yeah. Keeps and also his. <laughs> yes, and also his line blending, and also his line matchups, and which we were talking about pre-show, and just. <laughs> He does not know how to co- how to coach NHL hockey. Coming in hot with the Colleton. Oh, I mean, like there's, I I don't I can't like sit here and defend much because I I can't say I agree with you. I may not feel as strongly as you do in the negative direction, but I also can't tell you you're wrong. But I guess let's like focusing more on the players, like the head coach, like is. Easily as they dispose of Dennis Savard that one season, uh, almost ten over ten years ago now, I should say. Like I feel like even though he's got a contract extension, if they wanted to fire him tomorrow, they'd find the money to do it. So I guess like for more from a player perspective, player development perspective, rebuild perspective, how do you feel about the team now as compared to the start of the season or two oh, months ago, whatever? A lot better. Uh, Ian Mitchell is, I think, what we thought Ian Mitchell was like, when he was getting like really hyped up. Yeah, a I, season I, or two ago. Yeah, yeah, he's been, he's been, he has not been a disappointment because he was expected to be pretty, pretty decent, and he has been. Yeah, and the young, again, all the young kids look pretty good. Philip Kurishev, I'm still I'm continually impressed by. Um, even Dominique Kubalik, who saw his numbers dwindle in terms of goal scoring, has transitioned effectively into a playmaker. So. Yeah. And, and like the reason this idea came to mind is because we noticed uh, we had our, our young guns reports that were our young guns reports. I think I said that right. I don't know. But anyway, those two articles that went up earlier this week, there was one that was just on the forwards and one was on the goaltending and the defenders. And that came about a week or two after a big piece about how the Blackhawks were getting outplayed at five on five. And all these numbers were starting to trend down a little bit. And like the Hawks were still winning games. And they, again, they won last night. They beat Columbus despite blowing a two goal lead in the third period. Again, they managed to squeak out a victory, which was nice, but 
So like as all these numbers are like there there seems like there's like some mild regression happening, which I think can be understandable to a point because it's a lot of, you know, film gets out on some of the young guys that haven't played in the NHL as much. Opponents start to figure out how to handle them and or new ways to attack them and maybe they have to learn to adjust and that's kind of the crux of being a professional athlete is the league adjusts to you, you adjust to the league, the league adjusts to you, and the good players are always able to make the adjustment to make themselves better. And that's why, that's how you end up with like Patrick Kane, I guess. But I guess is there the overall thing, and I'm going to go to Mill here in a second because uh, we we want to get his opinion on this as well. But Shepard, the main thing I do you, (laughs) I, well, we're, I guess we'll find out if if we want to do that or not. But Shepard, like, is there, has there been like, Again, like it's kind of a bigger picture focus, but is there anything that's happened in the last two to three weeks that has really stood out to you in a negative or positive fashion? The goaltending is fantastic. And I think heading into the season, we didn't really know. I think I think a lot of it was made of, out of not knowing what the goaltenders were going to do and projecting mm-hmm. them as bad. And I think in a very positive direction, goaltending has been good mostly there's games like the one kevin Langdon played last night mm-hmm. that are not great but for the most part especially since those first four games of the season goaltending has been really good this season and that's i think a good thing yeah and i think that's <coughs> excuse me i think that by far is the biggest development with this team is that the goaltending like we were i was worried this was going to be like the 17 18 hawks when crawford had the con- first had concussion issues, missed most of the season, and it was a rotating cast of bad goalies in net. And I thought that was going to be the case this season. And after, as you mentioned, Shepard, the first four games, it looked like the Hawks were going to do the same thing. And then Kevin Lankanen appeared and just started playing his ass off. And now, like, don't get too far ahead of yourselves with Kevin Lankanen. Like, it's really good what he's done. Be, Be happy, be excited. It's great, but he's played 14 games in the NHL. Got a yeah. long way to go. And I, the good news for him is he's under contract for another season. So the Hawks don't have to make like a career decision on him in the off season. You can play him this season, play him well into next season before you have to decide if he's going to be the guy. So don't like, you know, just pump the brakes a little bit. Like I I'm very excited about his future because he majority of the time he's looked very good, but um, understand that, you know, it's still, it's 14 games that there's a lot more to go. Uh, so we've talked too much mill same question to you as you as you approach the Blackhawks two or three months ago compared to now how has your overall impression of this uh, the direction of the franchise changed for the better or for the worse or maybe even not at all well I'll say that I agree with you guys it's really nice to see a lot of good from so many young players even if we don't know what they all are yet 100 percent and, you know, there's a lot of first-year guys. And then Kubalik's continuing to play well. But I think I have the same level as concern, as, of concern as I did before the season, big picture. Um, there's just, you know, when you go back, we were talking about 2007, and they have guys in the lineup like Robert Lang and, you know, whoever, they're in their late 30s. They're there just because they're kind of grooming the talent. But... Mm-hmm. Colleton's trying to win games and he's still leaning on Soderberg and, you know, these guys who are 35 years old because he doesn't want to lose the game. And it's like, you can't develop talent like that. Right. 
So I, I think that uh, the coaching, we we know what that is, but I, I don't think the the right moves are being made for the young guys going forward. And if they, you know, maybe maybe Lankanen is the real deal. We'll find out. But if somebody like a Kershev or a Suter maybe doesn't get the time to develop soon enough, you know, and then they trade them, and then look how many times Bowman's traded away first round picks who have turned into stars or at least serviceable players. So. Uh, I'm I'm still kind of at the same level. Okay, because I think that's where like if I I think that's where I ended up closest was to being roughly similar. Um, I I think the goaltending would probably push me more in the optimistic direction because you have like three months ago we had I didn't even I barely even knew Kevin Lankinen was, and I I thought Colin Delia was going to be the guy this season just based off of his he had had prior tenure with the Blackhawks and had good performances with the Blackhawks at the NHL level. Uh, Subban, you know, had played what, like 20 seconds of one game when Crawford needed a new helmet or whatever. So we didn't like not knowing anything about any of the goalies. Uh, I just like, that was just kind of a, a black hole of, I, I don't know what to do with any of this. Um, I think to, to your point, Mill, about the young guys though, the young guys as compared to the old guys, I think there's an, like, Carl Soderberg is only here because Taves and Doc are not. Like, I'm fairly confident saying that if if you didn't have the issues, and Soberg, Soderberg wasn't even signed until Taves and Doc were ruled out for this, for however long it's going to be. Doc probably for the season, Taves seems that way. He's out for the season. Uh, Jan Mark and Walmark were signed ahead of time. So I don't think. Yeah, they were signed in like October. Well, and I, that's the problem. And I'm just making, I was just using Soderberg as an example, but I just mean any of these guys who are not your pieces going forward, you know? Yeah. yeah. Why are they making, why are they developing Jan Mark better than they're developing Philip Kurashev or, uh, well, that's Kubelik, even Kubelik. And see, and that, that's something that I think, again, I'm trying not to rush too far into judgment or try not to blame the coach too, too far because like early on in a season with a lot of young guys, like, maybe don't throw them that deep into the pool just yet. Uh, you know, at, at some point though. Yeah. At some point I'm with you guys entirely. Like let, uh, let Boak was playing the last two minutes of a tie game or a one goal game. Same thing with Mitchell and Bodan and whoever. Um, and let courage, let Kershev be on the ice when the Hawks need a goal in the last minute. And same thing with uh, any of the other young players they have. So I think at some point you would like to see the Hawks transition into that. I don't know if you necessarily have to be there already. I mean, they're only 20 games into a 56 game season. And if Mike can do math, that's about 35%. And by I can do math, I mean, my calculator can do math, but so you've still got about two thirds of the season to go. I think there's still ample time to get these guys into the crucial minutes that you guys were talking about. And I think that's where if we're still having this conversation in May, then it's going to look like a wasted opportunity because this is really a low pressure season the expectations could not have been much lower um the hawks i think have raised them a little bit because they've been better than expected but you can really throw a lot of young players into moments to see if they can sink or swim without significant ramifications because you're not really chasing a playoff spot or anything like that so if they do mess up if they mess up the first time and then they figure it out for the second time that's the exact kind of development you want to see out of those younger players so that's something we can definitely monitor. I mean, we've had plenty of complaints about ice time for young players recently, and Kurashev's was on the fourth line, I believe, on Tuesday night, which is, again, I 
I, I don't know why, but sure, I guess, whatever. Um, so I, I, so I think I, I, I'm not as offended by that right now, Mill, but I feel like in, if we get to the end of the season and Soderberg and uh, Jan Marker, well, A, if they're still here and B, if they're still taking up the, the minutes away from the younger guys, then I think I'd be really even more pissed off about that because that's not how you develop guys long-term. Yeah, I think somebody yeah. needs to tell Jeremy Colleton that we're not chasing a playoff spot this year because I think he, he thinks we are. Well, I like that's that's going to be an interesting thing to watch over the next month because, like, I feel like March is kind of the make or break month where if we get to the end of March and they're still in it. I'm not saying like you go trade pieces to get for uh, to get one, but Colleton like they might try and chase a playoff spot, which would seem detrimental to the development of younger players. Well, here if you if you chase the playoff spot to the detriment of your own players, your young players getting ice time, then that's a horrible idea because that defeats the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish this season. But if they chase a playoff spot while those young guys are playing those crucial minutes, that's probably the best case scenario for this team. Yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm with you on all that, but I just think even aside from the, the development, I think a lot of our disgruntlement with the coach is also usage. Oh, for sure. No, I, I th- and I think I think those objections are uh, legitimate because Kershaw was on the fourth line Tuesday night, and yeah, just yeah, I don't get that. Well, at all. Look, if you get a rush, obviously you're going to go up the ice, but it's like I was complaining about this. Matthew Highmore should not be you know forced forward into the zone because he doesn't know how to read the defense and make a proper zone entry. That's why he kept turning the puck over and giving away out of band rushes, but. Like Colleton, I don't think he's like, oh, I'm going to play him there. I just don't think he like thinks about that kind of stuff. We were spoiled with Quenville. Well, and that's, I mean, I, I guess if I was going to play devil's advocate for that, I'd say, well, Colleton's a young player as well. I mean, he coach, but he's he's very green in his career too. So I don't. Maybe Mark Crawford's in his ear coaching him up on these things. Maybe not, and maybe that's a flaw that will continue to be exploited and something that we'll need to be taken care of in this season or next season, whatever. But um, like he, he has to grow too. Like, like Joe Quinville before he came to the Blackhawks was kind of was, was like notorious for having incredible regular seasons, but not winning a damn thing in the postseason. And then he came to the Blackhawks and won three. And now he's like the best coach ever. Um, and, And what what were you gonna say? Though? Oh, I was saying that's no, that's fine. But I'm I'm just more or less looking at like the general like get, putting them in the best uh, place to succeed. Oh, absolutely. Like it's really small stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, and and I think the, uh, another part of it is like putting them in good positions to succeed, but also giving them challenges at some point. Like you can't just for your young offensive defenseman, you can't just shelter him with offensive zone starts for the entire season. Well, I mean, maybe no. some of them, maybe Boquist you can, because he's still like 19. I mean, he's, he's looking, since he got back from the COVID-19 protocol, he looks a yeah, lot better. I, I would like to, yeah. And, and that's why I should, I didn't want to get too, uh, too far into it, but Adam Boquist on Tuesday night was awesome. And it was the, uh, maybe the best game I've seen him play. And wildly encouraging to see him do the things that got him drafted as high as he was. And yeah. hopefully there's more of that. No, he looked great, but I, I think that's a great point. Those guys should be getting defensive zone starts, Boquist, Bodan, Mitchell, but he, I, 
again, I don't know how much attention he pays to that because he doesn't shelter his Zadorov, and that's gotten him into trouble. Well, yeah, and that's and that's the thing. Like, oh, well, the Zadorov thing is a whole other debate because it seems like it seems like the Hawks are con- are convinced that he is a piece of the long term future because he's only twenty five years old. But and he didn't. He's had a few better performances of late, but ugh, it's I still just I don't see what he brings to your team that makes him that already locks him in as part of this team's future. I don't see why they traded Brandon Saad for him. Well, that's yes. That's because, because I guess when the Blackhawks have a trade and Brandon Saad's involved, they have to lose the trade. I guess that's three times it works three times, Dave, but three going, times. Back, going back to what I think Millie, you were talking about this about player usage. Like I, I didn't notice this during the game, but uh, I assume part of this is also related to overtime, but Ian Mitchell's shift chart from last night, or I'm just looking at the shift chart overall from natural stat trick. And Ian Mitchell took a shift right after Columbus scored the goal that made it a five to four game. And that goal came with at the 10 minute mark of the third period. So halfway through the third period, Columbus scored a goal. Ian Mitchell took the next shift, maybe like 30, 45 seconds, and then didn't play again the rest of the night. Right. Do you guys remember Ian Mitchell doing something to get benched? No. Like that, like little things like that. And like Boquist got some shifts near the end too. And, uh, and later on in overtime, I believe, but that's uh, that, I think that's kind of indicative of the whole thing to where you're re- they're relying so much on the veteran guys to clinch wins out. I'm like let the young guys try, you know, especially against Columbus. Columbus sucks. Let them, let them try it against Detroit. If they get uh, the games coming up this weekend, you have a one goal lead late or, uh, or you're trying to tie it up late. Let the young guys do those damn things because I'd rather have them try it against Detroit and Columbus than I would against Tampa or Florida. Well, yeah, and you prefer, I mean, it sounds stupid as a fan, but I'd prefer a loss and them getting experience than trying to squeeze out a win, maybe losing an overtime anyway with old guys. And the reason yeah. you're, you want that, Mill, is because the organization told you in the offseason that they are focusing on the long term, not just the short term. Right, exactly. Black- we were prepped. We were prepped to be bad this year, and then we were winning, but not winning in the right way. Yeah. The Blackhawks are the only team in the city that's not transparent about their plans, and then they finally try to be, and they don't stick to it. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of the whole the crux of the uh, debate or the dilemma that they're at right now. It's like, yes, you're having more success than you were expected to, but you're not doing it in ways that are indicative of long-term success this like this is the way i was explaining this to someone over the weekend the way i came up with it was uh obviously making a cross comparison to football because that's what i always end up doing but it's like when the bears have those seasons where their defense scores like seven eight touchdowns like 2018 they scored a a unsustainable number of touchdowns on defense in that season and the offense was shit and then like the whole offseason like i remember there was all this talk about the defense cannot score at that rate every season. So unless the offense improves, this team might have issues. And obviously there were some other circumstances involved, but the point was your unsustainable thing that made you good one season disappeared the next season. And then your team was, I think eight and eight this, like if you translate that to the Blackhawks, their power play is, was clicking at like a 40% rate for a while. That is an unsustainable number. No team has ever finished with a, 
power play over 30% in the last 45 years, I think it was. The Canadians did it in the early 70s. Edmonton was at 29 and a half last year, and that's the highest number since the Canadians team from the 70s. That and they still play, wouldn't have been a playoff team if it had not been for that tournament. Exactly. And the power play has regressed lately and 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 may not like that power play could suck next season. And if you're not getting 40% power play conversion next season, if you took that power plays conversion rate away this season, this team is down by Detroit. So the way to long-term hockey success is getting better at five on five hockey. And they're not there yet. I will say against Columbus on Tuesday night, they kicked Columbus's ass at five on five hockey. Their power, their penalty kill gave up three goals, which was not ideal, but so one night we had a good step in the right direction. Um, and then they have another game against Columbus on Thursday, two against the Red Wings over the weekend. Columbus and Detroit are not good possession teams. So hopefully there's more of that coming up in the next two games, more steps in the positive direction. And then we're going to get to March and that's going to be a whole other situation that we're going to deal with later. Well, not only is a power play not sustainable, like you just said too, but against these bad teams, if you keep taking penalties, like line is going to score on you. Mm-hmm. You're not stopping him on a power play every time. Like if you keep taking penalties. Yeah, exactly. Mean, it'd be nice if you could stop him from scoring the same damn goal in the same damn spot in the same damn night, but. It's the only thing he can do, and he keeps doing it. Yeah. And it'd be nice if the Blackhawks could be a better possession team than Detroit because they've had times <laughs> where they were not. Yeah, like, <laughs> like I, they were a better possession team against Columbus. I know Columbus sucks at possession, but so have the Hawks. So the fact that they had better possession on Tuesday night is a sign of progress, and I will take it. They outshot them 17-4 to in the first period. Yeah, and it definitely regressed as the, the game went on. I think the, the third period, Columbus had a little bit of the advantage, but the Hawks still had their expected goals uh, percentage was higher, so it was better quality than the Blackhawks had. And there was the Hawks, there were moments where the Hawks like looked fast on the counterattack against Columbus. Like they just kept like ripping off these two on ones, kind of like we've watched teams do to the Hawks for the last three years, where just defensive coverages are blown and they get a two on one towards the Blackhawks net. That's what the Hawks were doing to Columbus a lot last night. I feel like they could have scored way more than the five goals they ended up with if they had had better conversion. But uh, that was, again, I would like, I, I take that as a, a good thing. And if you get more of them, you put more of those good things together. It's an overall positive trend. And maybe we start getting uh, better signs that this thing is getting better at five on five hockey, not just propped up by a, uh, an unsustainably good power play. Yeah, and like two of the guys who contributed to that the possession there were Kurashev and Hagel were both picking off passes and making clean entries into the zone. And, you know, the Hawks kind of just played keep away on a lot of those cycles. But it, it, those are the type of guys you want doing that. Hagel's a nice kind of surprise. He's just kind of a role player, but, you know. Yeah, like the one thing I was worried about this season was if uh, Patrick Kane like had like an MVP season and – carry the Hawks by themselves into playoff contention, if not a playoff spot. Uh, now other players are contributing, but Kane is also like having maybe the best season of his life again. So in the hits. Yeah, ex- exactly. So it, it's not, it's not bad that Patrick Kane's doing that, but it's like, it's again, they need other people to step up. So, uh, and some of them so far, like, go ahead, Shepard. But two of the other guys who need to step up are not on the roster or, are not on the team right now. True. Yeah. And but like that, if, if they're, if they're going to be a playoff team, Jonathan Taves and Kirby doc have to be here. I think. Yeah. 
yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't, I'm still, I, I, I'm not really going to get too far into even like thinking about the Blackhawks playoffs because I, I feel like let's revisit that conversation in three weeks after this gauntlet they're about to run. And then we can talk really about whether or not this is a playoff team. To give one assessment about Kane, he's not being selfish at all. He's making a lot of nice passes and picking up assists as well. But they get to the point where 10 minutes left in the third and he's a permanent fixture of the shift for the rest of the game. And he's out there with anybody. And it's like, what is the guy supposed to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, why is the guy averaging first defenseman minutes? He's been out or getting more time than Keith. Yeah. He's playing like Victor Hedman minutes <laughs> for Kane, no reason. Kane's at 22, 21 this year, which is the third highest on the team among skaters. The uh, trailing only Keith and Murphy. I mean, he's going to like, he's going to be your number one forward in terms of ice time. That's fair. But like, he shouldn't be like Connor Murphy's at 2257, Kane's at 2221. I think Kane should be down a little closer to where Debrinket's at at 2026. Yes, yeah, like 1920 is okay for the get best the number, forward. Get the number down to 20 and give give a few more minutes to Kurashev, who's at 1245, you know? Like, and, and Kane doesn't even play on the penalty kill. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, when they take five penalties, that's, you know, potentially 10 minutes of him off the ice. And, and one. Really quick, like we mentioned in them a few times here. One guy I did want to talk about, uh, Alex Debrinket. Last season had a just just a terrible, no good, very bad year, and I think it. You know, he he had some moments in the playoffs. He had a couple assists in one of the games against the Oilers that were really impressive, and gave you a little bit of hope that maybe it was last season was the anomaly and it was the exception to the rule of what he did in his other seasons. He's like, this might be the best Alex Debrinket we've seen. Granted, yes, he's playing with Kane, and that's yeah. a, a lot. But not everybody can play with uh, Patrick Kane. Not everyone can keep up and capitalize on the opportunities that Kane can present to you. Debrinket can. And the fact that he's playing this well, and again, Debrinket's only 23 years old. He's been in this team for so long. I think you forget how young he is and how much brighter, of a, how much longer he has to be. Like, he still has room to improve. And he's also there's been little glimpses of him on the defensive side of the ice, which I don't know if was necessarily known about him initially, but he's not so bad in the defense side. I mean, the only thing that really limits him is his, the fact that he's five, six. But has it limited him though? Not really. Yeah, And is, is it a limiting factor? Cause I think one of the best centers in the league, Braden point would like a word with you. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I meant like more from a defensive perspective. And I think I'm, you guys are both right that I'm wrong that, Defense is as a Ford, 90% of defense is just wanting to and giving the effort to be in the right position. Oh, yeah. Because totally. I, again, I think Braden Point can win a Zelke in his career. Yeah. So I, I, I think size has nothing to do I, with defense. The Brinkett had one back, I mean, he had one back check that was like perfectly smooth, lift, steal, pass, like all in one motion. And it was very Marion Hosa esque. He, he's, his skating looks a lot better. Yeah. Yes. Like noticeably better because when he, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I was just going to say like when he came up and started playing real well, when he first, you know, came up on the team, I was like, ah, this guy can shoot, but he can't skate. That was like the sharp thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But he can skate better now. That was his draft concern too. That was like one of the reasons he fell as far as he did. 
he's got 19 points in 16 games. He's on pace for in uh, 82 game season. He'd be on pace for 97. And like when he first came to the Hawks, because he was, you know, a right-handed shot, really good goal scorer. The immediate comp was Patrick Sharp. That might be selling him a little short. Like he might, if, if he continues to improve, like Patrick Sharp was always in that, that category of like pretty good score, but not like into the Ovechkin category. And I don't think Dabrinkit's too soon to say he's like at the Ovechkin level and that he may not ever reach that. That might be too far, but there's room in between there. And I think that's where Dabrinkit's going to end up between that sharp category and the Ovechkin category. You think he's, you don't, you don't think he's the greatest goal scorer of all time? Yeah, I guess. You know I, I, yeah. Well, you know I what's really funny? Like the Ovechkin realm, not just Ovechkin, but like, you, thanks Shepard. <laughs> You know, what's really funny is uh, if the Hawks didn't have cap problems, they probably wouldn't have traded Shaw and got that pick. Yeah. Because they couldn't extend him, and Montreal gave him whatever we're paying him now, four and a half. The Hawks are paying him, like, a ton of money, but because they had to trade him, they got that Debrinket pick in late in the second round, and it, you know, paid off. I guess there's one trade deadline deal that didn't bite the Hawks in the ass completely. That wasn't a trade deadline deal, though. That was, yeah. uh, it's believed, that was it's rumored, it, yeah, it's rumored to, to have been a part of the trade deadline deal that year, but it was not. No, because that was a playoff. Shaw got in trouble, and uh, yes. I went to a couple games in that series, and he was pretty out of control. He did score a goal, though, uh, from a cane pass behind the net right in front of me against the Blues, so love him for that, but he, you know, he's a little nuts. I love how specific your memory is, but yeah, Dude, you guys are right. It was, that was June 2016, not a a, uh, a deadline deal. And let's see. And then is, and the other uh, pick they got ended up in uh, Chad Chris. So yeah. one out of two. <laughs> Chad Chris sounds like a <laughs> made up player on NHL 21. No, he's, he's very real. He's, he's playing in Rockford and will probably be there forever. forever. Chad, Chad Chris isn't real and he can't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny part is they could have had Sam Gerard with that pick. Yeah. Well, if, they, if Sam Gerard was on the Blackhawks, who would Alice DeBrinkett fight? Uh, Not Savard. The, the guy he tried to <laughs> yeah, Savard. The guy he tried to fight. The guy he tried to fight Tuesday. Yeah. Has he just been getting stupider? Like I don't remember him being red assed like that. I think well, I think Andrew he's, Shaw he's, is a very outsized locker room presence. That's having an effect on people. DeBrinkett has a he has a uh, a mean streak. Obviously, he can't come out a ton because he's a bit undersized, but he. He can be ornery. I think. I think it's it's an underrated part of his game. Uh, hey, Shepard, to not, not to cut you off, Dave, but Shepard, to comment on that too. Also, Taves and Seabrook being out, it's like they keep losing all those guys. Yeah, the leadership group, which is wild, because Murphy was out this season too. Anybody who wears an A, hopefully nobody else gets hurt. All right, I'm going to stop you there because I don't want any more bad bad juju going around this team. Yeah, let's not go any further down that road. So we're going to take a break, uh, come back on the other side of a timeout, and we got some more Blackhawks stuff to get to and a food take that, again, I set the bar very low two weeks ago, so hopefully Mill can take a small leap over that and uh, find out all about that on the other side of this timeout. Welcome back to Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. And as we promised before the break, I've got a few questions from the Second City Hockey community. Um, if you would like to be one of these people submitting these questions, go to our website, sign up, participate in the comment sections, and uh, I'll, I'm going to start popping up from time to time in a few of the articles and uh, soliciting 
questions from people in the Second City Aki community, because um, that's who we're doing this for a lot. So uh, we got a few questions. A few of them are, uh, there's actually a couple of them here that tie into the big picture focus that we've been talking about. So it actually flows very well with this episode. Um, so we're going to start with BMAC2 has two of the questions. So I guess we'll, we'll get both of them. Uh, first off, one of BMAC's questions. Put your armchair GM hats on for this one. Uh, who would you ideally like to see going to Seattle, the expansion draft? And from there, assuming no additions, well, g- give us your opening lineup for the ne- for next season based on what you've seen and the progress of this season so far. Um, I guess we'll start with the part about the expansion draft because uh, that seems like the, the easier question to answer. And, and I don't know if we'll be able to quite dive into entire lineups at this point, but uh mill shepherd is want to go first uh which players that are on the roster right now would you offer up in the expansion draft that you have uh have no use for long term ideally or realistically because ideally it's zadarov realistically it's probably the han well i think yeah uh i'm with you on both of those actually uh well madison Bow- uh, bowie bowie i forget how to say it uh, bowie bowie but he's yeah. one for sure and that's the like, that's the goal, right? Yeah. Just well, like, it it seemed like the Hawks got him in the lineup just be, to make him eligible for one of their expansion draft choices. I forget exactly how many they have to offer up, and I should know this, but I don't. And I forgot to Google it before we came on the air here. Um, Mill, what about you? Who are some guys that you would be offering up at an expansion draft to Seattle in the upcoming off season? I mean, like, I want Zadorov off the Hawks roster, but <laughs> I, I mean, like, I'm not going to – I'm going to assume that, you know, that's not going to happen in the Seattle draft. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to roll with Shepard's answer. Because uh, the, the other problem is that I'll either – there's a lot of guys on this team who are either you have to protect, like Jonathan Taves is an NMC, and so does uh, Patrick Kane, and so does Brett Seabrook, and so does Duncan Keith. Uh, but a lot of the guys aren't eligible. Like Adam Boquist, not eligible. Uh, yeah. Kirby Doc, not eligible. Uh, even Dominique Kubalik is not eligible. Like half the roster is not eligible. Yeah, because right. they're super young. Mm-hmm. I guess it's like, it's more of like what like which veterans would you absolutely not want to be going into that into the expansion draft pool? Uh, Taves and Kane. End of list. What about Connor Murphy? Oh, true, Murphy. Because that, that that's another one that I I don't. I, I I think like Calvin DeHaan I think is suitable. Like I I don't have uh, I don't have any massive uh, concerns about him. Like he kind of is what he is. He's a decent defenseman. He can he can get you eighteen to twenty a night if you need him. But he's also should ideally be a player that you could replace his production if he were no longer on the team. Yes, and they they already have Murphy too, so it's like they don't really need like he's kind of yes. like a step below Murphy, but the same type of guy. And I guess that also thrusts uh, Matthias Janmark and Lucas Walmark into the conversation. Although, were they two year signings or one year signings? I thought they were one year. They were each one year because that was yeah. my that was my thing with them at the start of the season is to not get too. Even though when they signed them, we were both like, "Why are they here?" When you have so many young guys, you need to play. But it was only a one-year deal, so, you know, it's fine. Um, I guess – so we got a second question here from CCM, which kind of builds off of that question. And the, uh, his question is to take a guess on what happens at the trade deadline for the Hawks. So 
I guess what I would do here, and and I'll throw this uh, to you. I'll let you guys both answer these uh, one by one. As I'm just going to go down to some of the veterans that are on this team, and you can give me a quick yes or no whether or not you would trade them at the dead, trade deadline, starting with Lucas Walmark. Yes. Sure. What about Janmark? Yes. Yep. Yeah, see, that's that's the guy, like, I feel like the Blackhawks are doing their best to make him. Oh, I hope so. If they, if they can sell high on him, that'd be great. No, but no, like, I'm worried that the Hawks are going to keep him, like, sign him to, like, a three-year deal at $5 million at per. Like oh. that, that's, that's my concern with him. Like, like he, he's the guy that because like the Blackhawks mm. will, you know, somehow luck themselves into a playoff spot and be like, well, we got to keep Matias Janmark around since he was so crucial in us earning a playoff spot. That's my concern right now with the way thing, with the way they're going, that they, they make a wrong move based off wrong assumptions about a success this season. You mean they make Janmark the next Brian Bickle? That's not fair to Brian Bickle, and I will not let you slander Brian Bickle on this podcast. Because Brian Bickle he, was going to be very was going to be a much more productive player if he didn't have the diagnosis that he had. I don't know about that though. He got only, paid for a, he got he got paid for a playoff run. Yeah, should have went should have went to Boland. They needed a center. Oh, Boland's back was falling apart at that point, so he yes. played great in Toronto until he broke his wrist. And but Brian Bickle, I think, would have been fine if he didn't have the issues he had. He may not have capped in 2013 Brian Bickle, but he didn't get the chance to live up to his contract because of his diagnosis. Well, his contract was back pay because he was getting under the league minimum because of his deal. So that was kind of a weird situation. And I remember looking at it one day and like that Bickle contract wasn't as bad as it was made out to be. And I still don't obviously still don't think they had to trade Tavo, but that's another conversation. Uh... Back to the list of veterans that we're, we could be trading away at the deadline since we're having a, a, a fire sale tonight. David Kampf. I would keep. How old, yeah, how old is David Kampf? He's like 25, right? I'd keep. David Kampf is 26 years old. Yeah. He just turned 26 in January. I'd keep him. I, you're, I, not gonna, you keep, you're not going to get. You're not going to get enough to make it worth it not to keep him around. If you can, keep, if you can keep, him at one, you keep him at one million for next season, I'd, I'd be I'd be okay with that. What about Ryan Carpenter? Uh, Carpenter is a, a sell high, sure, but like you're not probably better off keeping him. He's he's thirty years old, but at a million bucks, he's a great you know penalty killer and fourth line checking line type of guy. Yeah, he's really useful. Just get him off the power play. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Agreed. Oh. That's like as, as long as no other forwards get hurt. Like at some point, you have to put somebody on the power play. You have two units, right? But you ha- you do have to put somebody on the power play. You have to put Dominic Kubalik on the power play instead of on the second <laughs> unit. What are we doing? What well, we the doing? second unit's better than the first one, though. Lately, is it is it is it now that Boquist is back? Because that was one of the problems. Well, actually, both power play units have not been great. I think they're like one for their last eight or nine or something. The power play is trending down a little bit lately. It's down, right. So, it's down so now you can start experimenting and put Dominique Kubelik where he belongs. Yeah, the power play is now down to just an abysmal, uh, where's the percentage at? 33%. They suck. Trade it. Trade it well. Um, I think we're, we're probably getting too far <laughs> ahead of ourselves because the trade deadline still weighs away, but uh, it was a good question. So I'm um, just trying to see if there's any other veterans. Um I, I think I the general to... answer going forward is like you trade the yes. guys that don't have a place going forward. Yeah. I don't like none of the guys that are like 20 over the age of 25 
there is not one of them that has done something that has made me think, oh, we, he needs to be here in the future. So in that group, you can lump in Jan Mark, Walmark. Um, Colleton. <laughs> Calvin, De, Calvin DeHaan. Like, no, I don't, I, Connor Murphy's the only one out of that group that I would say keep him around because he's got a, this team, you know, he's, he's good now and he can be good for the next two, three, four years. Uh, everyone else is like 25 and under and still deciding on them. But unless, I mean, there's still time to those, for those guys to prove differently, but this is like the way with what the Hawks are doing right now is you take these guys, you, you bring in veterans on one year deals, you maximize everything you can out of them before the trade deadline. And then you trade them for picks and prospects at the deadline. Right. And, and I just want to say veterans next year won't be a problem because the cap's going to still be flat. Yeah. I just wanted to say, and I would, I would with you guys on that, but the reason I'm mad that these guys are playing so much is because Stan Bowman hasn't really done that. Like, when they traded Brandon Saad, you would think they would get a pick or he was just clearing cap space. And they, they basically saved a million bucks and then gave money to Zodorov. And, and like, I don't mind, again, like, I don't mind the theory of, of trading, like, like trading Brandon Saad, I didn't mind actually the idea of trading him. I didn't right. like the idea of trading him for an NHL player that had already played a lot of games. You know, he, 25 years old. He could, you know, he's still at four or five prime seasons left if he had a prime and then I, I guess the, it's just, it's the specific player they got in return is the player. I is the, the thing I don't like. I That's like the problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so it's, it was good in theory, but not in practice. So I, that's what, what I'm I, saying is like, if they maximize these guys, they got to They got to not, you know, if it's a high end guy, they got to be careful with what they're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But Stan Bowman thought, Oh, I traded Nick, Nicholas Yalmerson for a guy who was making like a less, like a million dollars less. And that worked really well. So what if, what if I did that same thing with Brandon Saad? Just chose the wrong guy. Yeah. Yeah. I like, Eesh, there had to yeah. be, there had to be a better offer than Nikita Zadorov on the table. There just had to be, I, there's no way you, you can never. Joe Sackick's just that smart. Yeah. Right. And J and JR was still around in Pittsburgh. So you, you're telling me you couldn't have gotten like POJ. Ow. I have one more on this list. Uh, well, this list that I'm making up, but uh, what about Dylan Strong? You're it's, not going to get anything for him right now. Well, okay. I disagree I, with that. Well, I mean, he's concussed right now, so definitely right, not right but, now. But like at the trade deadline. Right. I, he's not He's not Alex Nylander. No. But he's also no. not, he's also not like, not cat. a top 10 overall pick. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, like, and he's on. He got the uh, two-year deal for three million, so he signed for this season and the next at a relatively affordable cap hit. And he's only got eight points in nineteen games, and it's just at some point, like, he's another guy that I think because they have he's under contract at a affordable cap hit. You don't have to make a decision on him until next season, but that that's one guy I think that's high on the list of interesting players to watch for the rest of this season into the next season about what the Hawks end up deciding on his long-term future. I think part of the problem with, with Strom putting up points this season is a, he's been a lot better defensively and B he was playing with that really good Kubelik Kurashev line that got a lot, drove a lot of expected goals, but got nothing in, in reality. So, so there's that. And I, I think we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago that, 
that line of Strom, Kershev, and Kubalik look like it'd be awesome for like a third line on a championship team, but they need them to be, well, I guess they don't have enough players on top. So maybe, maybe next season you get Taves and Doc back, you th- put a third line together of Kershev, Strom, and Kubalik, and it just wrecks people. Oh, uh, no, mm, I disagree because I, I firmly believe Kershev and Kubalik will be playing with Jonathan Taves next season. Well, I mean, there's that to consider as well. Uh, it was just that was, that was my hypothetical for next season. Yeah. Uh, so one more one more question here I want to get to. It was also from BMAC uh, and gets outside of the Blackhawks. And Shepard, you are not allowed to choose a Vegas player for this. Who is your favorite player in the league that doesn't play for the Hawks and why? Shepard, oh, come you, on. You, come on. You know, you, it's, it's you know my, you know my yeah, answer. It's, it's, current, it's, it's current players. It's a Vegas right? Golden Knight. Yeah, current player, Mill. Well, I'll tell you, Mill, Mil, if you want to throw a former player in there, you can, but. No, I'll do it. Let's just think cool. about it for a while. Mill, you go first. My favorite player that's not on the Hawks is, uh, oh, man, that's tough. I like a lot of players that don't play for the Hawks. Probably most of my favorite players aren't Hawks. Um, You're going to say Brandon I, Saad? <laughs> no, no, I do like – I am a Brandon Saad fan. I mean, it's hard not to say Crosby because I've seen him play in person so many times. He's just – like, he is that good. But I'm going to come up with a more interesting – Hmm, I'm trying to think of who's in my jersey closet. Well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys ponder for a second. I'll, I can give an answer. Like, an obvious one's Nathan McKinnon, but that's that's like low-hanging fruit because just because he's really fast and really, really good. But my favorite types of hockey players to watch are really good offensive defensemen. I really like watching Zach Wierenski because he's really, really good as an offensive defenseman. And Kale McCarr is wildly moving up that list. And I'm so glad that... He is discovering his powers this season in a division that is not the same as the Blackhawks, so I can watch it and not be terrified the whole time. I mean, I'll still be terrified because I imagine Chicago and Colorado will end up back in the same division after this one, after the season's over, and Kale McCarr is going to be terrifying for the next 10 years and maybe at the Blackhawks' expense. But uh, in the short term, I am enjoying Kale McCarr like crazy because he is phenomenal at the blue line in the – and I, I was going to say in both ends, but especially at the offensive end. Yeah, there's not a lot of bad choices on Colorado for this question. Um, I'm going to throw out mine as Thomas Hurdle or Tomas Hurdle, sorry. Shepard from did San you, Jose. Shepard, you come up. Teenage Mutant Ninja Hurdle. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I have th- I have three answers to this. So the obvious one is yeah, it's a Vegas Golden Knight because I've watched them all the time and I've watched them since the beginning. It's Shea Theodore. Uh, I don't know what else you want me to say. B is Dougie Hamilton, and C is uh, Pastor Knock. All right, there you go. Ask uh, Well, we're out of questions, and uh, I think we're out of hockey yeah. things to talk about. So uh, I think it's food time. So, Mill. All right. All yours. So I people are going to hate on this probably because being born and raised in the Midwest, this is like such like a Midwest thing. I feel like. But in my opinion, ranch dressing should only be salad dressing, and you should not use it to, as a condiment. I think it's disgusting as a condiment. So, like putting it on pizza, dipping wings in it, uh, just any dipping anything in it. I don't understand why people do that. I think it takes away from the flavor of whatever you're eating. I hey, Mel, me and you are on the same page, same exact page about this. People who dip pizza in in their ranch. Stay the hell away from me, please. I do not. And like, also, blue cheese is a better option for wings you, at all times. If you dip your pizza in anything, what you have there is shitty pizza. 
Well, no, like I put hot sauce on my pizza. Well, okay, no, no. I mean, all right. Hot sauce. That's not dipping it in. Hot sauce doesn't like overtake the flavor of the pizza. If you have it enhances a ranch, it. this is the problem that people have with ketchup is that ketchup is is like kind of an overpowering thing that it 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 becomes the primary thing you taste. Same thing with ranch. So if you if you're putting ranch on pizza or dipping it, whatever, yeah, no, I'm in that, thousand. And that's why. That's why it makes sense as a salad dressing because you're sitting there eating lettuce. Like, you know, it's <laughs> fine. But, like, I just think, and, you know, Dave, you probably see this a lot too because when you're from the region or you're in Chicago or whatever, people are always putting, like, ranch on pizza or their wings. Like, to me, putting it on your wings, like, if you go to B-dubs or something and you have, like, wing sauce on your wings, why are you dipping it in ranch? Well, I mean, I get, the blue cheese thing, again, I get because blue cheese does enhance a wing flavor, but... Blue cheese no, is a different, ranch, though, you know? Yes, yeah. Yeah. No, I, so, I, I agree completely. Ranch dressing's entirely overrated. The only let thing me I, ask let, let me ask you this question though. Cool ranch Doritos, yes or no? Oh, absolutely. All day. Yeah. yeah, I mean I like any flavor of Doritos, but I think that's like it doesn't taste like ranch dressing though. It just has like the the, the seasoning they use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think like it's such a European thing. Like in Europe, they have mayonnaise and ketchup available for you to put on your food like yes like your pizza you, you dip your fries in mayonnaise in europe and it's it's good i actually it's actually good but their your their mayonnaise is a lot better than our mayonnaise but yeah it's the thing is like like people are using like you know store-bought preservative dressings and stuff and it's like i don't want that on my pizza so that i i guess that wasn't a great hot take because you guys are on the same page as me but i'm glad you're on the same no, page I, as my, me. my hope is that because like we're the blackhawks are in the midwest I hope there's somebody listening to this that's very upset with us for trashing ranch dressing, but it's not that good. It's overrated. No. It's way too. Th- why is it thick? Can we, can I ask you this? Why is it thick? Why too why was thick. it? Why is it thick? <laughs> Except it's thick in the bad way. But but here's the thing. It's okay. Some ranches are pretty decent, like especially homemade on a salad. But it's a salad dressing. Like you don't put Italian dressing on your pizza. If you do, you're probably a serial killer. God. No, I yeah, I like the the people that do pizza in in ranch dressing like that. That's a war crime. Yeah, the only uh, time yeah. it makes sense is when it's it's crappy pizza. Like you're right, like Little Caesars. Uh, uh, I okay, still little even Little yeah, Caesars. Still. Is like don't do that, don't do that. Don't well, do that. And first off, if you, if you want a sauce with your pizza, just get more of the marinara sauce because usually or, more of the sauce is what you need. Or garlic, anything with garlic, any garlic sauce is amazing. On yeah, garlic butter. Yeah, you get garlic butter. Garlic butter and Cholula, and you're good to go. All right, this is already my favorite food take segment that we've had. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't realize how much I dislike ranch dressing. Until we had. Like, the only thing I used it for was, like, celery, and I've recently made the switch from, uh, instead of using ranch as the condiment for celery, use uh, whipped cream cheese. Oh, sure. I thought you were going to say peanut butter. Oh, I've, peanut butter is good too, but the, the whipped cream cheese is a little lower in the calorie count. So it's. But again, a, a, a vegetable like a carrot or celery stick, you know, like that makes kind of sense. It's it's pretty plain. It that that goes back to your salad dressing. Yeah, it's really. like it's the same thing. It's vegetables and ranch are okay. Main courses and ranch are not. Especially pizza. Especially, yes, especially for the love pizza. of God, people. Like I I put a lot of things on my pizza that people disagree with, but like I don't. I, it's to add the flavor, not to take it away. 
Yeah, it's not to make it your your condiment should not be become the flavor. Correct. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Unless it's chicken, unless it's chicken tenders, in which case it's the only flavor. Well, I mean, I, just, I don't know if that's entirely like if you get really good like seasoned chicken tenders, like I don't know how much ranch you even need. Uh, and ranch would not be my go-to sauce with chicken tenders, but they, I would get a condiment on a chicken tender at all times. I'm over barbecue sauce guy myself, so. No, I'm not yeah. saying don't use condiments. I mean, right, you know, no. barbecue sauce, mustard, ketchup, uh, hot sauce, whatever, sweet and sour. Yeah. But you gotta, you gotta be safe. You gotta use condiments. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, I think that's where we end it. Yeah. I, I think so too. <laughs> yeah, we're out of jokes yeah. and out of things to talk about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's going to do it for this episode of Musings on Madison. Uh, thanks to Mill. Thanks to Shepard for joining us. You can find them on Twitter at Mill182 at Shepard Price. I am at underscore Dave Melton. Follow Second City Hockey's main account at 2ND City Hockey. Visit the website secondcityhockey.com for all your Blackhawks content. Uh, stay tuned because we're going to come back next week with more stuff previewing what's going to be one hell of a schedule in March. I'm glad we didn't get too far into it, but uh, if you're like, if you were like wildly going crazy about the Hawks right now, look at who they play in March and then come back to our podcast next week. Cause we're going to talk about that a lot. Um, so thank you very much for listening to this episode for Mill, for Shepard. I'm Dave. And as always, go Hawks. Da, 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 da